Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. My conversation partner today is Cheryl Kniezel. She is the author of a new book that I just finished reading today. It was, uh, it, it's been life-giving and empowering for me. It's called Heart Speak. A visual interpretation of Let Your Life Speak. And if you're not familiar with Let Your Life Speak, I'm sure we'll give you a little bit more backstory on that in a moment. Uh, Cheryl's a graphic recorder, an illustrator, and an art educator in Wisconsin. Uh, she's given TED Talks on graphic recording. And I think that once you get a hold of your book, you're going to realize uh, why her gifts have been such a gift already to so many and why we're hoping that this story will be a gift to those of you who are listening and people who will be listening in the future. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much, Steve, for having me. I'm really excited to be in conversation with you. Cheryl, talk a little bit about how you stumbled across Parker Palmer's book that was kind of the, the touchstone or the foundation for this. Absolutely. So my husband's grandma, Jan, uh, was uh, an amazing woman, and uh, I feel like a soul sister of mine in another life. Uh, she was a total fan of Parker Palmer. Um, I always joked that she had a crush on him, and she we would uh, she gifted me his book, The Courage to Teach, early on in my teaching career, and I loved it and started following his work. And when she passed at the age of ninety six, I inherited some of her books, and Let Your Life Speak was among them. And through the years, that little book became such a touchstone for me. Uh, just, you know, Parker's words and, of wisdom around true self and vocation and calling really just kept coming up and kept being so useful at different times of my life. So uh, that's how I first dis discovered his work. And then actually for my 50th birthday, I treated myself to a retreat with Parker and singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. And I sketch noted or drew out the, the conversation throughout the weekend. And at the end of the weekend, I, I said, Parker, we should write a book together. <laughs> and the words were out of my mouth before I really, you know, realized what I was saying. Uh, and, you know, I think he probably thought, you know, whatever, Cheryl. And he, we went on our way and um, yeah. And then the pandemic happened and I'm kind of launching into the origin story of the book right now. Is that okay? That's um, perfect. Yeah. 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 And I had been doing uh, a daily drawing kind of meditation practice for several years. During the pandemic, I was one morning looking for more quotes to use. I would search for a, you know, a spiritual or inspiring quote and draw it out in my style of a, like a little circle and paint it and post it online. And I realized that I had really drawn out about 15 to 20 quotes from Let Your Life Speak. And I believe that everybody has a book in them. And I always thought my book would be something to do with education or graphic recording. But that morning it hit me like, maybe this is my book. Maybe the book is just taking Parker's words, which have meant so much to me and interpreting them in a different way to bring more people to his work. And so I reached out to Parker and pitched my idea. And as uh the divine or universe or whatever word you use would have it. He said, Cheryl, it's the only book of mine that I own outright the copyrights to. So I believe that ideas are meant to be shared. So have at it. Uh, he said, you may have to jump through some hoops with my publisher, but I can help with that. And, um, you know, let's see where it goes. So, uh, yeah. So I started hand drawing. I, I picked up the quotes, you know, I had gone through the book probably four or five times at that point at different points in my life. And I always found myself 
drawing next to or underlining the same number of quotes. Uh, so I went through and picked out about 75 and started illustrating them just by hand. Um, one of the other people in that weekend retreat also had some some experience in publishing. So I reached out to him and his name's Jeff Crosby and he helped with the book proposal. Um, I pitched it. Um, Parker was instrumental just as moral support throughout the process. We met monthly during the pandemic, which really was a true gift of this whole process. Uh, you know, he's in his mid eighties and um, so generous and hilarious and <laughs> uh, yeah. And I learned so much the, through the process of publishing a book, uh, but it really has been, there's been so many gifts from the process. Um, one of them was bringing more people to Parker's work. One of them was really putting something out in the world that I, I thought might help others um, in spiritual formation or just sitting with self and reflection and meditation. So it's been a great journey. I'm so glad to hear you say that. It sounds like it was, it was transformative for you to revisit some of those principles and then reframe them so that a new audience could have access to them. Yeah. Sure. You're pretty candid throughout the book about an experience in your life where just, just your body was telling you that it was time to slow down and reset and recenter. Talk to our listeners a little bit about that. Sure. I am an empath, Enneagram number two, if you do any Enneagram work, and a teacher and a mom. And so uh, there was a stretch. Um, my husband was having, was experiencing some health issues and I was uh, not listening to myself and, and how I needed to support myself. And, and what, during that time, Parker's work, uh, Let Your Life Speak, um, really helped me through that in that he talks lots about how self-care is not selfish and that mm -hmm. if we are giving from an empty place we are no good to anyone so really i had to reframe and and i wasn't listening for a long time and then at one point and and of all places in a yoga class <laughs> i did a forward fold and uh something happened and um i tried to muscle through it for a couple days until i was uh, i teach elementary art um I was, you know, at lunch on a break and in my art room, closing the door, laying on the floor because I was in pain. And finally, a colleague and dear friend said, what, what are you doing? Go home, rest and heal. And I'm a teacher. So uh, it was the end of the school year. And if you know teachers, we never miss the beginning of the school year and you never miss the end of the school year. And I had to go home and miss the last three weeks of the school year. Talk about my body just, you know, speaking loud enough until I had to listen. Uh, yeah, so that created some space to really re-examine, you know, who and how I was moving in the world, um, what I was valuing, um, where I was finding strength and inspiration, and how I was learning to receive help. That was probably the biggest lesson. I call them the lessons of the back. <laughs> Those sound like important ones. Cheryl, you talk about how self-care isn't selfish. And you also talk about how this book was kind of born out of the pandemic. And I don't know what your journey was like, but, it, but I know for me, so many of those self-care things that self-care cans that I had been kicking down the road, the pandemic kind of put life on pause and said, Hey, all of those things, whether it's rest or reflection or Sabbath or exercise that, that you never had time for before you have time for them now. And some of us were able to lean into those and some of us still shoved all all of those messages down. How how do you see the pandemic maybe in a positive way reframing our understanding and our need for 
appropriate and proactive self-care? Wow, that's a great question. I, I I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak to my own experience in that it really was a pause, even as a um, an artist and a teacher and a business owner, uh, that I was in my house and uh, it really gave me time to reevaluate uh, two things: reevaluate what was important and what I could carry on, you know, in a within constraints that we were under, all of us. Uh, and then it also forced a lot of us to develop um, new skills. And I, I'm not a fan of the word pivot, but in my business of graphic recording, I had done been doing a lot um, analog markers and paper. And all of a sudden I was sitting at a computer. So I had to learn very quickly how to do my work digitally. Um, so I think the the silver lining of the pandemic was, uh, you know, time to rest and, and interest some time for introspection and then also learning creativity and flexibility um and and maybe not even learning that maybe just practicing more of that yeah yeah and, and i and i love how some of the themes that come through in the book and i'm paraphrasing here is that sometimes our gifts aren't the gifts but our life and our presence are the gifts and if we're not fully taking care of ourselves, we we rob ourselves and others of our ability to be fully present in moments. Am I am I reading that correctly? Oh, absolutely. I come from German Catholic farming family stock. I was definitely socialized uh, by the amazing women in my life that you are what you accomplish in the day, like who you help, you know, how much stuff you get done off your laundry list, um, that, you know, what you accomplish is who you are. And all of a sudden we were in a pandemic and you know, the list kind of fell away, a lot of them. And so that also became part of the book in that, uh, wow, maybe just, maybe the work is to sit with the readings. Maybe the work is to get clear and make sure that I'm walking the walk. Um, yeah. I still struggle with that every day, being versus doing, you know, but, sure. but it's, a, that's a lifelong journey, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love how one of the quotes that you zero in on just reminds us that your true, your true self is calling out to you, trying to give you notice, trying to give you perspective. What are what are some of the ways that for those of us who this all this verbiage of, of true self and self care is, is kind of new, especially those of us who grew up with deep Midwestern Protestant heritage that just said your your identity to your point is what what you can achieve, what you can accomplish, what what you can win at. And Palmer is taking a little bit more of a contemplative, reflective, Quaker in, inspired approach that said there are gifts in the silence and in the listening. How can we make a shift towards giving our lives and our hearts and our souls to speak to us the messages that we desperately need to hear if if it's all kind of foreign territory for us. Yeah, sure. I think that the the best way to do that is to start practicing some solitude uh and just sitting with, you know, creating small spaces for yourself, whether that's 10 minutes in the morning over coffee, um, which is my happy place. Um, and try not to fill that space. Uh, Parker talks a lot about you know, listening to true self and that if we don't, we put ourselves at great peril. Um, also, when we, you know, do things that don't align with our, you know, when we're doing things that kind of run crosswise to our soul, um, a lot of times we keep busy so that we don't have to 
feel that or listen to that or just even notice that. So I think the first step is just creating, you know, taking time, 10, 15 minutes um, in the morning or at the end of the day uh, to really uh, check in with yourself. I also, um, I know for me, I ask myself, how do things resonate physically? Like hmm. how, how, where am I feeling this in my body? If I say yes to this, or where am I feeling it? If I say no to it, um, there's such wisdom in that as well. And Parker speaks to that too, of just, you know, sometimes if you're not going to listen, your body will shut down for you. And, and that's, you know, my personal experience. So I just think that space and solitude is so important and it doesn't have to be a weekend retreat. It again, can be five minutes, um, you know, with some contemplative reading or, you know, your favorite Bible verse. Um, so important. You also included some quotes that say, if you, if you find yourself resenting the things that you're doing, maybe you're saying yes to things that aren't authentic to your wiring and your vocation. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So the shoulds, the shoulds. Yeah. Yeah, That's, there's so much to unpack with those. Uh, and, And that's such a personal journey. I think just, you know, who we should be as you know, Midwesterners, who I should be as an educator, who I should be as a parent, as a friend, as a spouse. Uh, there's a lot of shoulds. And, and for me, Parker's words really helped me figure out what was mine to carry and what mm. was not. And then really checking in with the yeses um, to make sure that it was a yes, because it was aligned with what what I held true and and meaningful and beautiful versus something that I felt someone was expecting me to say yes to. And what would, what would happen if I didn't say yes? And how would that look? And um, yeah, that's just what, you know, what Parker talks about the inner and outer work, making inner match outer and not being afraid that if you say no, or if you just be that uh, you won't be enough. Um, yeah. I think that's what it comes down to be feeling worthy, just your presence and who you are today is enough. Cheryl, you talk about how our inner work has a direct connection to what our outer work looks like. And I think that to to your point, some of us grew up in backstories where outer work was the only thing that was measured, celebrated, elevated. And I I hear you saying that the inner work has a direct connection. And when we're not fully present to ourselves and not living in alignment with our authentic selves and what God says is true about us, there there's a direct effect on our, our work and our relationships. I absolutely agree. Actually in the book on page 116, um, I specifically remember Parker's words were if people skimp on their inner work, their outer work will suffer as well. And I remember drawing uh, a little plant. Um, the picture is a person in a circle that says inner work. And in the circle with the person is a wilted plant. And mm. outside of the circle is um, outer work. And, you know, outer work looks like it's mad. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, but uh, uh, if you do you mind, if I read the, my reflection from no, that. No, please. One? No, go right ahead. Uh, so the, the book is um, set up so that the images on the left are my illustration of Parker's words, the white words type below the images, Parker's quote from Let Your Life Speak, and then my reflections are on the right side. It says, I can always tell when I have not prioritized my own inner work. I get short with others, eat poorly, and let go of moving my body regularly. It isn't until I realize that my mind is filled with spiraling negative thoughts and worries that I stop myself long enough to name how I'm feeling or what I'm doing. 
oh, this is me feeling lonely or unappreciated, then I can begin again to take care of myself. That often likes, looks like what helps keep a plant healthy, enough water, sunlight, and a few gentle words. Mm. And then I use I have on each page um, just kind of a, a gentle open question. Uh, and the question says, what does it look like when you are skimping on your own inner work? And how might you gently course correct when you realize it's happening? Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that just to be such such a gift to me. And I think that one of the things that for me that I would that I was skimping on. So both my wife Kelly, who's a nurse, and myself, I was working in manufacturing at that time. And we I had to be on site and she had to be on site. So like not a lot changed for us during the pandemic when it came to our work rhythms. And I realized that like exercise just kept sliding and sliding and sliding to the bottom of the list. And I got to a point where I was like, well, if I don't exercise, again, this is where the shoulds kicked in. It's like, well, if I don't exercise at 5 a.m., then it doesn't count because then I can't, then I'm not doing all the other things I'm supposed to be doing. And long story short, I just finally got to my rhythm where it was like, it's, it's okay for me to get to work at 9.15 on some days. Like no, no, nobody's keeping track. I'll, I'll make up for those 15 minutes on my lunch hour somewhere else. But to be able to say, it's, it's okay. It's okay to give, giving yourself permission and grace to say, what is a rhythm that is sustainable for me that gets me what I need so that I can be who, who I want to be in the moments that, that are calling for it. Right. I think that's such wise. That's so wise to, and courageous, I think, to give ourselves permission because we tell so many stories uh, that, you know, about who we are and how we need to be when really, if we if we dig in and, and really sit with what's important, no, you know, we're in the end, we're the ones that get to tell our own stories. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's another image where you talked about how we shouldn't be afraid of failing because sometimes if we fall, the distance between where we are in the ground is, is lesser than we anticipated that it might have been pull on that thread for me a little bit. Sure. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, and in, in the, the image I get to see is it's a person with his feet, like, like he just, he or she, or they just slipped on a banana peel and, and grace is very close by. Um, and uh, so I, I teach elementary art part-time still. And uh, one of the Literally, if my students leave my classroom with nothing else, I want them to leave knowing how to be comfortable with making mistakes in art and in life. Uh, I think that's the biggest life lesson they can learn. And when you allow yourself to make mistakes and embrace those as just another form of learning, uh, oof, does that remove the fear of, of you know, mistakes and um, and fall into the ground. Uh, and then Parker talks, talks about his experience with depression and that, you know, maybe that's where we need to, you know, can you look at it like it pressing you down to stable ground? And mm. for me, making mistakes, uh, again, is just where the magic happens, where the learning happens um, with students in my classroom when they, you know, rip their paper or get a hole because they've, you know, rubbed too hard with a paintbrush. Um, I usually respond with a, an excited, like, now what? Like, oh my gosh, now what are you going to do? Uh, or okay. I'll say, oh my gosh, did you mean to do that? Like, look at this could be this, or this could be that. Uh, and if we can, you know, apply that kind of energy and, and if you want to say excitement to when we have mistakes in our lives, uh, that just changes the whole narrative again, that changes the energy that changes it for those around us that are in our lives. Um, yeah. So I, I just think that's just so important. Yeah, sure. I'm so glad to hear you say that because even as I read, even as I was kind of reflecting on that image, I had two instances that came to mind. One, 
was when I was kind of working in a really large church in another city and was kind of climbing the ladder on the rungs. And, and I thought that I might be in succession to, to kind of lead it when the leader was finally ready to make a, a, a change. And the, their executive team preemptively called me into the boardroom and said, Hey, we think you're a nice guy, but you're not, you're not going to be the next leader. And that just was just such a fatal, like it felt like a fatal blow. Like the disappointment just came in waves, but it was really interesting because I was in my mind, that thing that I thought would kill me was, wasn't something that I enjoyed. And I certainly don't want to repeat it. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but it didn't kill me oddly enough. And then later when I was working in that HR job in manufacturing, I lost my job about seven months into COVID. And I thought that that was going to kill me too. And again, none of the experiences are are fun, but sometimes what I really appreciate about the picture, it's like, oh, I thought this was a 10 story drop and it was maybe 20 feet. It still felt like I was falling off of a tall ladder and like maybe broke my tailbone, but, but it didn't, but it didn't splat, you know, like I didn't, I didn't disintegrate. And I thought that that was a really powerful image and a really powerful message in the book that no, we don't get excited about the fall, but maybe we will land awkwardly, but we won't die. And again, it sounds ridiculous as I'm verbalizing it out loud, but sometimes when you're in that grip of fear, it's hard to have perspective and it's hard to kind of find your bearings. Oh, absolutely. And it's really just our general fear of the unknown. I mean, that's just so human of us. And uh, there's another, um, I was just thinking there's a, another image of just, you know, when you're falling and, and not knowing. Um, also, it relates to one of the images and quotes about way closing. Uh, mm. And in the book that I drew, a, um, you know, a door closing and uh, the door next to it, you know, the sign next to it says not this way. Uh, and how many times for for all of us, we can name situations where what we thought we wanted or what we were striving for. Um, we got an emphatic no. And for me, at least, um, I know it was when I was just starting out with graphic recording and teaching visual literacy, and I um, had pitched doing it in my district and uh, on a larger scale instead of just in my classroom. And I got a pretty big, big emphatic no. Mm. And uh, looking back on it now, uh, oh my gosh, that veered me into a whole different space of pursuing it and supporting nonprofits and educators in different ways and organizations in my community doing uh, really generative and transformative work around conversations and around racism. And so if I had gotten a yes, it would have meant different things. And so right. um, receiving the no's sometimes and just being with the, the, the fall to the 20 foot fall is is okay. And just, you know, trusting and having faith that that's just where it needs to be right now. Yeah. Yeah. Parker talks in the book and you talk about it in yours about vocation. And I think many times we, we can confuse vocation with job. And I hear you saying that vocation is, is so much bigger than whatever the entity that signs your payroll check is. How, how have you discovered that in your own journey? Yeah. Uh, I agree. Vocation. I, and I didn't really understand this concept until I started reading Let Your Life Speak several times. And how lucky that some of us find, uh, we happen to find a job that does incorporate our vocations. Um, for me, it's always been listening. Listening is something that um, I find sacred and mm. a just beautiful way to connect with others. So for me, vocation includes being able to give the gift of listening to others, really teaching is also all wrapped up. Um, 
and always learning. I'm such a curious lifelong learner that so for me really my business of graphic recording and education is just all those things wrapped up together uh, I think I think we've been socialized a lot to believe that you know our job needs to be all those things together and what I've realized you know as I journey through life is that it's okay if your paycheck is not wrapped up in what your vocation is mm -hmm. and and maybe sometimes that can be even healthy because it allows you space, you know, a, a side space to explore what's not tied to, you know, yeah. financially. Too. And, and in some ways, Cheryl, I think that's for me anyway, that circles back to the shoulds, right? Because sometimes we're like, well, my job should provide X, Y, and Z. And I think that sometimes we put, just like we put undue pressure on some relationships, sometimes we put pressure on careers to be things that those careers can't be and they're not supposed to be and God didn't intend for them to be. Right. That That's interesting. I have um, adult sons, early 20s, early mid 20s, and it's such a different generational perspective on that. Like their jobs are just their jobs. Outside, they do the stuff that, you know, brings them joy and, you know, whatever that may be. And, oh my gosh, how, how much can we learn from that? Like giving yourself permission to separate the two if need be. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 And I think that you're, you're right. There are a very small handful of people whose jobs every day in every minute and every hour, they get to do everything that brings them life and they get a livable wage from it. That's, that's just not reality for a lot of people. And, and you're right. I think that there is a great gift. I think Krista Tippett says that wisdom is making friends with reality and reality sometimes is the, there are some seasons where your job gives you health insurance and allows you to pay your utility bills. And that's, that's okay. <laughs> Amen to that, <laughs> because those are all good things. Uh, I'm a huge fan of on being and Krista Tippett. And uh, yeah, I think that separating the two and, and, and I think too, like the whole, like finding your passion and that just is a lot of weight and burden, I think, un unnecessarily. Um, so just allowing yourself to pursue and find things that bring you joy. And, um, and again, the, allowing them to take the path that, that it will. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cheryl, you talk about how community is a gateway or a vehicle for abundance. How does community help us flesh out vocation in ways that if we were just living in isolation, we wouldn't be able to do? Hmm. That's not my quote. I think it's Ram Das that we are all just walking each other home. Like, who are we? Where would we be without community and connection and belonging? Uh, so I think, and I'm drawing on my classroom experience, um, we all need and deserve someone who sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And mm -hmm. if I can do that for my students or the, my friends or family or children or parents or whomever, the grocery store clerk, um, what a gift to give another human being. So community, I think, um, is where when we are not able to see our gifts ourselves that others can mirror them for us. Yeah. I, I think it was Parker Palmer who ex exposed me to the Quaker tradition of a clearness committee where you, where you're trying to make a life decision and you surround yourself with a couple meaningful people. Is this something that you've tried or that you've used? Uh, 
Well, actually, yes, at this. Um, so Parker, the retreat I spoke of is called the Growing Edge Retreats that he ran with um, singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer. And that was the weekend. It was filled with clearness committee circles. And I had never mm. experienced that before, but oh my gosh, how powerful. And Parker just did such a great job of setting down that, you know, here's what these are not. They're not recommendations. They're no, no fixing, no advising, no da-da-da. Like you were only allowed to ask questions of right. the people in your circle. Wow. What, a, what a, again, I keep using the word gift, but what a gift to be surrounded by people who are really there just to help you find your way and also help you listen to yourself, you know, doing that inner work. I, I love that. And I think that sometimes when we're in a discernment conundrum, when we're trying to scramble to find an answer, sometimes the answer becomes a priority rather than saying, okay, what does God want to teach me in the asking? What do I need to hear in the listening? And sometimes you don't get the answer, but you get another, a different answer or a different perspective, or you have an angle that you hadn't ever stopped to consider. And that, that is what you really needed to kind of keep your head above water for that particular season. Yeah, it's, you know, Krista Tippett talks about, you know, beautiful questions, elicit beautiful answers. And it's the questions, you know, that lead us and, you know, may uncover things that we not, hadn't even thought of. Uh, so yeah, for me, oh my gosh, I'm a fan of questions first. Like if I can ask a beautiful question of someone in my life or of myself, that is a gift. Before I let you go, would love for you to hear what kinds of people you think would benefit most from HeartSpeak. Like I know for me, uh, I've got a daughter who's in art school. She wants to be an illustrator. Like she came to mind as I was reading this book. I have other friends. They're not readers per se, but they love to connect with images. And what I love about this book is it, it felt like I could consume it in bite-sized chunks as opposed to some other texts where I open them up and I just see like 300 words out of page and I, I black out a little bit. So there's something that just about the pace and the digestibility of this book that felt empowering to me as, as a reader. So sorry, I'm not trying to answer the question yeah, for you. No, but... no, no, all of those things. Uh, so first, those kind of a couple questions there. Um, I think, well, one of my main reasons of writing the book is to bring more people to Parker's work. Let Your Life Speak was just such transformational reading for me that I would love it if, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> they were paired and and um, people read them together. Uh, I think that the, the audience for this book, I think of several young adults discerning where, when, how, who to be. If I had had Let Your Life Speak in my 20s, that might have just, you know, I might have learned a lot more quicker. So I think that space. Um, I have had, you know, in, in book signings and I'm starting to hear from people who've read the book, uh, I have lots of people giving them to their grandkids or giving them to children who are in college or just um, about to head to college, even college courses, you know, pairing the book with Parker's and using it in college courses. And then I think, I know as a young parent, I had no time to read, but I think if you have kids, older elementary, when you have time, like that space of when you're, you're redefining who you are as a parent mm -hmm. might be also a good space. And then you know, I'm just going to say all ages, but I also, my mother-in-law has just not stopped giving it. She's like, I'm ordering more. Like I thought of four more people and to hear people's feedback. Um, like you said about using the book, uh, I had a friend that I think gave me the biggest compliment. She said, Cheryl, this is, it's so reusable. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and that was a big compliment because I feel, and my intention with the book was to be like the, my, the books that really are my favorite. And the way I use 
books like Let Your Life Speak or Mark Nepo's Book of Awakening as well for me. I read them over and over and over like for years and I may open to a random page and just see what that has to speak to me today. I may choose, you know, for a while to read just a couple pages every morning and use it as a journal prompt or meditation, or I might sit and read the whole book through. And I love that it's that length that you, you could read it. You could sit down and read it. And that was my intention, the reusability of it, just that someone might, you know, buy it and write in it and mark it up and beat it up and throw it in their backpack and, and just, you know, live with it, have it, have it be something, a companion. Well, thanks so much for the the work and the heart that you have put into it. No pun intended. It's it, it's a phenomenal resource. Again, the book is called Heart Speak. Author is Cheryl Knizel. Th- Cheryl, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, thanks for being part of the conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Steve. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.